Good morning. In today's headlines, President Biden and the White House react to the impeachment inquiry by House Republicans and the House Oversight Committee pushes back on the administration's response. The DACA program is ruled unlawful. What happens to the hundreds of thousands of children of illegal immigrants enrolled in it? We have the latest. The UAW is preparing to strike several major auto companies as the deadline for negotiations draws near. We take a closer look at the union's demands. Do your children sit a lot? If so, they may be at risk of heart problems later in life, according to a new study. NTD brings you an in-depth report with a cardiologist's input and creative ways to get kids moving. Flying cars have long been a symbol of the future, and now they're a reality. We hear from an aerospace company CEO about his personal flying car. Hi there. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Thursday, September 14th. And you know, Evelyn, former President Trump raised about $7 million after his mugshot was taken. Oh, well, yeah, we'll see if uh, this impeachment probe will have similar effects for President Biden. Right. And while you're preparing for your day, we're bringing you our top news. That's right. House Republicans meet today for an update on the impeachment inquiry into President Biden. The closed-door briefing will be led by the chairman of the panel leading the investigation. That's made up of the House Judiciary Oversight and Waste and means committees. President Biden told donors at a fundraiser in Virginia that Republicans are trying to impeach him because they want to shut down the government. A government shutdown is looming if lawmakers don't agree on a new spending package by the end of the month. Biden stared straight ahead without answering when asked about the inquiry at a White House event yesterday. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the White House response. The Biden administration and Democratic National Committee launched aggressive messaging strategies in response to House Republicans' impeachment inquiry. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre called the inquiry baseless. The evidence does not exist, and this is a political stunt. The inquiry is centered around whether Biden benefited from Hunter Biden's business dealings. The White House sent a letter to news executives asking them to step up their scrutiny of House Republicans. White House spokesman Ian Sam says media coverage has failed to unpack the illegitimacy of the claims the inquiry is based on. He provided a 14-page appendix that he says comprehensively addresses the key lies House Republicans are telling. Biden's campaign also sent out an email with Vice President Kamala Harris's name, calling the inquiry ridiculous. It told supporters it was time to stand behind the president. The email is expected to be among several attempts by the Biden campaign to raise money off the effort. Talking points distributed by the Democratic National Committee on Wednesday suggest supporters cast the impeachment as McCarthy doing former President Trump's bidding. Another element of the White House strategy is focusing on Biden's governing duties. That includes plans for an economic address in Maryland Thursday and a trip to the annual United Nations meetings in New York next week. But the administration isn't taking any chances. It's put together a team of two dozen lawyers, legislative staff, and communications advisors to push back in the case of impeachment. The White House has yet to formally hear from any committees involved in the investigation. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The House Oversight Committee released a list of its own in response to the White House memos. It laid out evidence of found so far of Biden's alleged involvement in his family's influence peddling schemes. Here's the House Oversight Chair James Comer on the impeachment inquiry. What we have today now is the impeachment inquiry where we can move forward in court and try to obtain some more records. We're going to follow the money. 
and we're, we're at the point now it's getting harder to obtain the bank records that we need. If the president and this administration was cooperating with our investigation, we wouldn't have to do impeachment inquiry. Unfortunately, we do. Uh, we now have every tool we need to, to move forward in court successfully, and that's where we're headed. Comer will lead the impeachment effort with House Judiciary Chair Jim Jordan and House Ways and Means Chair Jason Smith assisting. The three committee chairs say bank records, suspicious activity reports, emails, texts, and witness testimony show Biden allowed his family to sell him as, quote, the brand around the world as vice president to enrich his family. The memo includes transcripts of testimony from Hunter Biden's former business associate, Devin Archer. Hunter Biden's attorneys filed a lawsuit against a former Trump White House aide yesterday that's over his alleged role in spreading embarrassing emails and images from Hunter Biden's devices online. The lawsuit accuses Garrett Ziegler of illegal hacking in violation of federal computer privacy laws and demands a jury trial. The complaint was filed in a California federal court. It also seeks an injunction to prevent Ziegler from continuing to access or tamper with Hunter Biden's data. Earlier this year, Hunter Biden's team asked the Justice Department to open a criminal probe into Ziegler and others who distributed the contents of his laptop. Ziegler told Politico the lawsuit is not worth the paper it's written on and said it's not lost on him that it was filed a day after an impeachment inquiry into the president was announced. The trial to decide if Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton is removed from office is winding down. Lawyers for the impeached Republican are set to start presenting their defense today. Attorneys for the bipartisan group of lawmakers behind the impeachment rested their case yesterday. A woman who was expected to testify about an affair with Paxton made a sudden appearance at the trial, but never took the stand. Paxton's attorney moved to end the trial due to insufficient evidence after the prosecution rested. He later withdrew that request. Paxton is facing 16 articles of impeachment. He is suspended from office and not required to attend the proceedings. Children of illegal immigrants were dealt a legal blow yesterday. A federal judge in Texas ruled the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA, program is unlawful. And today's Daniel Monahan has more on the court decision. The ruling by District Court Judge Andrew Hannon blocks the federal government from accepting new DACA applications, but maintains the program for existing recipients during the appeals process. The judge did not order any immediate steps such as deportation or criminal action against current DACA beneficiaries. DACA provides illegal immigrants brought to the United States as children with a two-year renewable protection against deportation. Texas and eight other states have been actively opposing DACA. Their main argument is that the Obama administration overstepped its authority by creating the program in 2012, bypassing Congress. They also say President Biden exceeded his authority when he renewed it in 2022. The nine Republican-led states also asked the court to phase out the program over two years. The DACA program has nearly 600,000 enrollees. About 80 percent are from Mexico, followed by El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. About 165,000 live in California and 95,000 in Texas. The ruling is expected to be appealed. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Propaganda and censorship operations by the Chinese regime here in the United States. A group of expert witnesses explored the issue during a roundtable discussion on Capitol Hill yesterday.
Sarah Cook is senior advisor for China, Hong Kong, and Taiwan at Freedom House. She told NTD in an interview following the hearing how the CCP spreads disinformation in the U.S. We see the CCP and its proxies. It often works through proxies. It could be, um, you know, various uh, civil organizations in society. It could be an official or a journalist. They take on a trip to China and comes back. It could be uh, an actual organization with ties to Hong Kong or something like that that has some kind of tie to the CCP. Cook said the CCP's disinformation campaigns are becoming more sophisticated and more manipulative. This is because they don't use open propaganda. The campaigns try to change not only how Americans think about China, but even how Americans think about U.S. domestic issues. You, they may be inching that direction where you see more fake accounts pretending to be U.S. voters and then posting things that are just going to be divisive or inflammatory and get Americans more angry at each other. And so that's where you also see, I think, the, the risks that the content itself actually has nothing to do with China, and so it's actually trickier to spot. Chairman of the House Select Committee on the CCP, Congressman Mike Gallagher, told NTD other tactics the CCP uses. So a CCP propaganda outlet like the Global Times can write an op-ed attacking someone or something or calling America an evil racist hellscape, and then they have a bunch of, you know, uh, accounts retweet it, and then someone else, you know, uh, feigns outrage over what has happened, and all of a sudden a casual American observer thinks that this thing is true when all it is is a manufactured uh, uh, piece of, uh, uh, of information or an opinion piece on behalf of the Chinese Communist Party. Gallagher said Chinese social media apps TikTok and WeChat are some of the platforms the CCP uses in its propaganda campaigns. And he said he's in favor of a ban on the apps in the United States or forcing them to sell. Stay with us for the biggest antitrust trial in decades. What's at stake for Google and what it means for us, the users? We speak to a professor for more insight. And U.S. senators agree government should have a role in regulating artificial intelligence. We hear from senators on their meeting with tech executives. That story after the break. And California is a step closer to making a serious change to its child sex trafficking law. And Tim Ballard, who inspired Sound of Freedom, speaks out on the topic of child sex trafficking. We'll have all that and more for you in just a moment. Good to have you back. The biggest monopoly trial of our modern internet era. That's what many call the Google antitrust trial. What does it mean for Google? And could it really change the way we use the internet? We want to bring in Andrew Selipak. He's a social media professor at the University of Florida. It's good to see you, Andrew. There you are. So tell me first, what's at stake here for Google? Well, what we're looking at is whether or not the government's going to try to basically force competition um, onto Google by requiring them to no longer kind of be the dominant internet search provider. Um, and one of the things that we're really looking at is how they're going to try to force a competition that doesn't really exist. Well, so if that's the case, how could the outcome of this trial actually affect other big tech giants like Amazon or Meta? Well, the big thing is that, you know, we haven't seen an antitrust trial like this in a long time, uh, going back to when we saw the government go after Microsoft. 
which in a way is kind of part of this entire conversation, Microsoft you know, having Bing as the sort of alternative search engine along with Yahoo and DuckDuckGo. Um, but at the end of the day, I think what we're looking at is the way that it could have a potential impact is if the government does sort of force Google to kind of back away from its dominant position, you know, this is going to kind of give more possibility for these other search engines to become used more. But at the end of the day, I just don't see that happening because consumers already have a choice. They've made that choice and they prefer Google. So let's talk about Microsoft, what you just touched on. Um, many draw similarities between those cases. Now, how is Microsoft actually part of the conversation here? And what, what did we learn from the trial that was back then with Microsoft, also in terms of the outcome, possible outcome? So probably the biggest difference is that what we have with Google and the reason why there's this potential um, you know, change that may occur is that Google has essentially paid companies to kind of make it the default search engine, whether that is um, with something like iPhone or uh, using with Firefox and Mozilla. Whereas for Microsoft, sort of the big issue was that it was kind of requiring everybody to use their search engine back in the day, Microsoft Explorer. Um, and in doing so, you didn't really have the same opportunity to make a decision on your own which search engine you were going to use. You have that option now. You can have any device that you want. You can pick whatever search engine you want. But when Microsoft as sort of the, um, what it was doing before was basically forcing people to use its search engine. Hmm. Now, uh, before we go here, and something that probably is most interesting to most of us, because what about the consumer? If it really should come out in favor for the DOJ, what would it mean for the consumer? What would change for us? Well, and that's the big thing. You know, with these antitrust laws, it really should be about the consumer, not necessarily the competition. And the consumer has overwhelmingly picked Google. 90% of searches are done with Google. That leaves the other 10% to DuckDuckGo, Bing, and Yahoo. So if anything is done, it, it's really going to be a big trial for Google. It's going to be a costly trial for Google. Um, if they in any way sort of force a breakup, it, it's really kind of unclear what would happen because at the end of the day, people are going to return to their default position of wanting to use Google even if it's not sort of the default search engine on our iPhones, the default search engine on Android, or the default search engine on um, any of our other devices. And part of that's because, you know, if you think about the largest video platform when it comes to social media, it's YouTube. People like to have their search engine connected to the largest video search engine. They like to have their search engine connected to the map app with Google Maps that they're most likely to use as well. So any way that this may be broken up is just going to hurt the consumer more than anything else. Hmm. Right. Well, it's quite a lengthy trial, so quite a long way to go until we actually see some answers. Thank you so much, Andrew Selipak, for your insights today. Thank you. U.S. Senators agree government should have a role in regulating artificial intelligence. Lawmakers met with leading tech giants yesterday for a special hearing on AI. The closed-door meeting was hosted by Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. It addressed some of the core issues involving AI safety. Schumer said bipartisan support is needed to come to quick resolutions on how to most effectively and safely use AI in the future. 
U.S. lawmakers want safeguards against potentially dangerous AI applications, including deepfake videos, election interference, and attacks on critical infrastructure. The hearing also addressed whether there should be a new agency to regulate AI. The meeting was attended by more than 20 tech executives, including Elon Musk, Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg, and former Microsoft CEO Bill Gates. We need to do what has been done for airline safety, car safety, drug safety, medical device safety, AI safety is no different. In fact, potentially even more dangerous. The American people know we have got to have some changes here. Look, it's the giant tech companies that are the only ones in America who get the special deal, and that is because of Section 230. They are not responsible, uh, can't get sued in court. Child sex trafficking is a serious felony. It seems like a no-brainer, but the California bill making it so ran into some roadblocks and pitted some state Democrats against each other. The state Senate unanimously passed the bill yesterday, which is on its way to Governor Newsom's desk. Besides labeling it a felony, the bill would also make child sex trafficking a strikeable offense. That means offenders would be facing significant time behind bars. Expectations were originally that it would be smooth sailing for the bill with lawmakers, but it got bogged down by Assembly Democrats who were against it, saying it could possibly have penalized trafficking victims. Public outrage followed, including death threats against some lawmakers. What can the U.S. do to stop child trafficking? NTD spoke with Tim Ballard, founder of Operation Underground Railroad. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on the perils faced by our most vulnerable. Tim Ballard says the southern border plays a huge role in child sex trafficking. We have unaccompanied minors coming. Tens of thousands are showing up, and they're being released into our country without little to no vetting at all and, and no fingerprint, no background checks. And so this is very dangerous what's happening to these kids. The former DHS special agent says he's working with Representative Chris Smith to propose a bill called the SECURE Act. This is going to hold DHS, FBI and Health and Human Services accountable to make sure you know where these kids are. You can't just release them to whoever pick, comes to claim them and, and they don't want to have to vet who comes to claim unaccompanied minors. It's, it's, it's a disgrace. We would never treat a U.S. child this way if we found a child on a street corner in New York City or Washington, D.C. You would never treat a child like that. You wouldn't release that child to really whoever just shows up. Ballard cites some troubling statistics reportedly from the State Department. The United States almost every year is the top uh, consumer of child sex material, child rape videos. Um, we're also in the top three over the last four or five years. This is according to U.S. State Department, by the way. Uh, we are in the top three for destination countries for child trafficking, human trafficking, and that makes sense because per capita, we probably have, based on the, those, those, that data, we probably have more uh, pedophiles per capita than any other country. According to Ballard, Americans are supposed to be liberators. Well, I spent 10 years rescuing children for the U.S. government, and now I feel like I'm having to rescue children from the U.S. government. And so it's a different battle now. It's not, it's not on, on the front lines. It's, it's political. It's in, it's in you know, the halls of Congress trying to wake up uh, the people to implementing the laws that protect children by enforcing the border. Representative Andy Biggs says tech companies are choosing profits over kids. He spoke at a child exploitation hearing on Wednesday. 
Big cited a June Wall Street Journal report titled Instagram Connects Vast Pedophile Network. The congressman says social media companies should be bending over backwards to remove child exploitation content from their platforms. But that is not the case. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok all allow the proliferation of abuse images and human trafficking on its platforms. Images are allowed to roam on the internet. Humans are bought and sold. Multiple bills with provisions that would protect kids from sexual exploitation were discussed at the hearing, including legislation that would incentivize the technology sector to prevent, block, and remove child sexual abuse materials from their platforms. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. An interesting story, and it just goes to show why the vetting process is so important there and make sure kids go into the right hands. Right. Uh, Tim Ballard says 85,000 kids, m migrant kids went missing. They just, that's a, yeah. I mean, you got to wrap your head around that. That's Something crazy. needs to be done. Yeah. And we have more coverage coming up for you. North Korea's leader Kim Jong-un has invited Russian President Vladimir Putin for a visit to his country, prompting concerns from Washington. And we have some shocking updates on the death toll in Libya. Thousands still remain missing and tens of thousands have lost their homes in the devastating floods. That and more after the break. Good to have you back with us. North Korean regime leader Kim Jong-un invited Russian President Putin to his country during a rare summit in Russia. North Korea's state-run TV says Putin accepted the invitation, although there was no indication on when any visit might take place. Kim is expected to continue his trip to Russia with visits to military production facilities. The U.S. has expressed concern about deepening ties between Russia and North Korea. Washington has accused North Korea of providing arms to Russia, but it is unclear whether any deliveries have been made. Both countries have denied those claims, but promised to deepen defense cooperation. Uh, well, we're watching this uh, very, very closely. Uh, we'll see what the two sides say as a result of this. Um, uh, as I've said before, uh, we continue to urge North Korea to meet its public commitments not to support Russia's war in Ukraine. No. When you see Kim Jong-un uh, vowing to provide full, unconditional support for Russia's so-called sacred fight uh, to defend its security interests, which of course is not what it's doing with respect to the, the war in Ukraine. That of course is troubling. The U.S. State Department said that any arms would violate U.N. sanctions. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has announced he will lead a bipartisan congressional delegation to China. The high-profile visit will also include stops in Japan and South Korea. Schumer has maintained a tough stance against China. He backed legislation to improve U.S. semiconductor competition against China and limit flow of technology to them. Recently, four other U.S. officials have visited China to discuss economic and military matters and de-escalate friction between the two countries. And over to Libya, the death toll continues to climb as a flood enters its fourth day. The intensity has gone down, but the situation is still critical. Around 8,000 people are now confirmed dead, with many thousands still missing. They were likely swept out to sea or are buried beneath rubble. The mayor of Derna said the death toll could rise to 20,000. He added that he fears disease will start spreading with so many dead bodies under the rubble. Nearby countries are sending rescue teams, but officials say what they really need is more body bags. 
Satellite footage released yesterday shows the scale of devastation. It's estimated that around a quarter of the Mediterranean city were obliterated by a mass torrent of water, bursting dams above the city. Multiple high-rise buildings collapsed as families were sleeping inside. And during alone, around 30,000 people have lost their homes to the floods. And now we are heading to Malcolm Hudson in the UK for some short headlines around the world. Good morning from the UK, Evelyn and Kevin. A luxury cruise ship is still stuck in the world's northernmost national park in Greenland. This after a fish trawler tried to free the ship during yesterday's high tide. The ship ran aground above the Arctic Circle on Monday. The 206 people on board are said to be in good condition. Brazil's Supreme Court justices are deciding whether to convict former President Jair Bolsonaro's supporters accused of storming top government offices. The incident took place one week after the inauguration of Luis Inácio Lula da Silva in January. Almost 1,500 people were detained on the day, though most have since been released. The EU requires airlines to use 70% sustainable fuels by 2050 to help decarbonize the sector. This percentage rises every five years to reach its target, starting at 2% use by 2025. These can include synthetic fuels, certain biofuels produced from agriculture or forestry residues, algae, bio-waste, used cooking oil or certain animal fats. EU lawmakers yesterday approved the new rules. Three family members of a 10-year-old girl who was found dead in her UK home have been arrested. They had travelled to Pakistan a day before police discovered the girl's body. Pakistani authorities launched a successful manhunt and flew them back to Britain. Sara Sharif was found dead with extensive injuries in London on August 10th. Terry Goh, the billionaire founder of major Apple supplier Foxconn, announced a surprising choice for his running mate in Taiwan's presidential election next year. Netflix actress Tammy Lai played a presidential candidate in the Taiwanese hit show Wavemakers. Observers have commented that Lai has no previous political experience. That's all from me. Back to you both. And Thank hopefully, you, Malcolm. Yes, yes. And hopefully there can be justice for Sharif if there was any crime committed. Right. Three members of her family. That's a terrible story, really. Yeah. Now they're in custody. Stay with us. Residents of multiple New England states are bracing themselves for more flooding as Hurricane Lee moves north. Some states already experienced severe flooding and disruptions to infrastructure ahead of Lee's arrival. And in New Jersey's governor is turning away non-citizens after promoting sanctuary state policies during his campaign. A lawmaker tells NTD about the impact it could have on residents. Welcome back. New England residents already soaked with rain are preparing for Hurricane Lee's arrival. Residents in Massachusetts and Rhode Island spent the day cleaning up flood damage as Lee approaches. Lee threatens to unleash violent storms as communities dealt with tornado warnings and another day of heavy rain yesterday. The rain created sinkholes and brought severe flooding to several areas. 
The town of Lemonster in Massachusetts is under a state of emergency due to flash flooding in the area. Footage taken by the mayor of Lemonster on Tuesday shows damage from flooding. The Massachusetts Emergency Management Agency also posted photos showing knocked over and split in half trees, as well as damage to streets and sidewalks and cars submerged in flood water. City officials say multiple streets and schools were closed and that some residents evacuated the area. Rail services were also affected, but no injuries have been reported. The National Hurricane Center issued a hurricane watch for portions of Maine last night. A tropical storm watch also was issued for a large area of coastal New England from parts of Rhode Island to Stonington, Maine. That includes Block Island, Martha's Vineyard and Nantucket. And now we're going into some short news alerts. The, the U.S. has approved a $4 billion sale of missile defense systems to Poland. The state-of-the-art systems are intended to bolster Poland's defense amid tensions with Russia and Belarus. The price tag also covers training and support for Polish personnel. The Pentagon says the sale won't change the military balance in the region. The manhunt for a convicted murderer in Pennsylvania is over. Escaped prisoner Danilo Calvacante was captured yesterday and is now in custody. A police helicopter used thermal imaging to locate him and a 34-man SWAT team with two dogs were sent to surround his position. One of the dogs subdued him when he was trying to crawl away. A stolen rifle was recovered from the scene. No shots were fired, but the fugitive was lightly bitten. He'll now serve out a life sentence. A federal judge blocked New Mexico Governor Lujan Grisham's order suspending the carrying of firearms in Albuquerque. The 30-day ban was on both opened and concealed guns within the city. The governor instituted the ban in response to the shooting deaths of two children there. The state attorney general had already said he would not enforce the ban. A federal appeals court blocked a California law prohibiting marketing firearms to children. The law signed by Governor Newsom was challenged by groups including youth target shooting clubs. The court ruled the law probably restricted gun makers' freedom of speech and ruled it would have little effect on gun-related violence. Governor Newsom's office did not respond to media requests for comment. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy, a Democrat, is showing resistance to the Biden administration's plan to send some of the 60,000 illegal immigrants in New York City to an international airport in Egg Harbor Township, New Jersey. It comes after Murphy promoted sanctuary state policies when running for office. I spoke with a state lawmaker to learn more about this. Take a look. We're joined by New Jersey Assemblyman Jerry Scharfenberger, who represents New Jersey's 13th District. Assemblyman Scharfenberger, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. The mayor of Egg Harbor Township says that residents there are already struggling and they're worried that their resources will be taken away if this relocation plan goes through. So how would this plan affect New Jersey residents? Well, it would affect them very detrimentally, I believe, too. As the former mayor, I know the struggles that local municipalities have just to provide basic services, to, uh, to patrol the streets, maintain the infrastructure is a huge burden on schools. New Jersey taxpayers pay the highest property taxes in the entire country, and they cannot afford to subsidize and clean up the mess that the federal government has created through their property taxes any longer. 
And your peer, Representative Jeff Van Drew, he was accusing the Biden administration of not securing the border, even though DHS Secretary Mayorkas said the border is not open. And he accused the administration of using taxpayer money to fly illegal immigrants around the country to areas that don't have the resources to house them. So in your view, what is the solution to this problem? Well, the solution is it's multi-part, but first of all is to secure the borders. They're clearly not secure. There's millions of people coming across. I think last month we had a record number of crossings, illegal crossings ever, and you cannot say the border is secured when you have those kind of numbers flowing in. So that's the first thing. They have to secure the border, keep folks who have yet to be vetted in Mexico that was being done very successfully on, and have an orderly way to uh, to evaluate folks coming in, whether they have a valid case for asylum or not. So that's first and foremost. Once they're in the country, it's almost impossible to keep track of them. And they they blend into the societies that they uh, they move to. And we have no idea who they are nor where they are. And to put some of your concerns into context here, so I mean, about five and a half million illegal immigrants have crossed into the United States since President Biden took office. Now, the airport is federally owned. So who ultimately makes the decision as to whether or not this relocation plan goes through? Well, we believe it would be between the governor and the federal government. Uh, certainly, we're speaking out against it in the in the legislature, legislators and Congressman Van Drew also, and certainly the local municipalities, the mayor of Atlantic City has been very vocal against it. But I think, I believe legally, ultimately, it will be the governor's decision. And what do you make of the governor's reversal of his initial stance when he was campaigning to have sanctuary state policies now to rejecting this relocation proposal? Well, quite frankly, it would have been much better if he had never declared New Jersey a sanctuary state in the first place, because then the federal government feels that they would be uh, willing participants in in accommodating the illegal aliens who would be sent here. So that's one thing. Um, there's an election coming up. Will this stance, this new position hold after the election? That remains to be seen. I certainly hope it does, uh, but hopefully he will be uh, a lot more firm in his position and uh, make it clear to the federal government that New Jersey simply cannot accommodate these uh, individuals who we want to send here. Well, Assemblyman Jerry Scharfenberger, thank you so much for your insight on this. Thank you. Some interesting insights. Thank you. And it just seems like we're starting to see more um, states coming forward saying that they just cannot handle that. Right. Well, when it actually comes down to the decision time, some of them are reversing their sanctuary policies like they mentioned here. And a, a thing to point out is that Egg Harbor Township only has 42,000 people. So imagine if there's a portion of that 60,000 illegal immigrants that are going there, you can imagine what kind of burden that's going to put on the society. Yeah, good point. And we're going to break. The UAW prepares to strike as negotiations with several major auto companies drag on. And Apple's iPhone 12 is facing possible recalls as regulators test for high levels of radiation. We speak to NTD business host Don Ma about the issue. And new research shows when children spend too much time sitting, it can lead to heart risks in the form of thicker heart muscles down the road. A cardiologist tells NTD that can make it harder to exercise, but the doctor says there's still hope to reverse the damage. Welcome back. The United Auto Workers Labor Union is getting ready to strike in Detroit. 
Union President Sean Fain said yesterday that offers from the auto companies aren't enough. The big three can afford to immediately give us our fair share. If they choose not to, then they're choosing to strike themselves, and we are not afraid to take action. In an online address to union members, Fain said General Motors, Ford, and Stellantis have raised their initial wage offers, but have rejected some of the union's other demands. The union is threatening to strike if it can't reach an agreement with the companies by end of today, but the strikes would be targeted to a small number of factories per company. It would be the first time in the union's 80-plus year history that it struck all three companies at the same time. Fain said the final decision on which plants to strike won't be made until tonight and will be announced at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Car companies argue they have to make huge investments to develop and build electric vehicles while also building and engineering traditional gas-powered vehicles. They say if labor agreements are too costly, it could push prices higher than foreign competitors who aren't unionized. They also say they've made reasonable offers to the union. And French regulators have serious concerns about Apple's iPhone 12. They've ordered the company to stop selling the phone, saying it emits electromagnetic radiation levels above EU standards for exposure. Here to discuss this is NTD business host Don Ma. Don, we want to hear more about this. Please tell us more. Yeah, sure, Evelyn. Uh, so the French government agency um, that manages uh, wireless communication frequencies issued this order. Um, so of course, this is after the iPhone uh, recently failed one of two types of tests for electromagnetic waves. And these waves are actually capable of being absorbed by the human body. So the agency recently tested you know, over 140 cell phones and found that the, the iPhone 12, when it's held in a hand or carried in a pocket, uh, its level of electromagnetic energy absorption is higher than the EU standard. But, you know, of course, Apple denies that. Uh, it's disputing this. It says uh, its iPhone has been certified by multiple international bodies and, uh, and complies with all applicable uh, global regulations. Um, for radiation. So, you know, there's two sides to this. Oh, well, interesting. But there are a lot of people using an iPhone 12. Is there any harm to them? Well, Evelyn, uh, the good news is that no, there won't be any health risks uh, because although the iPhone 12's uh, radiation levels are higher than EU standards, but they're significantly lower than uh, standards that is uh, considered harmful for users. So that's good. Um, the users of iPhone 12 um, can actually download an update that prevents uh, radiation exposure from surpassing the limit um, when it does in fact come out. Uh, but the, the French National Frequency Agency told Apple to fix this malfunction. Uh, and it says that if they can't fix them, Apple may have to recall phones that have already been sold. Mm, interesting. Well, I've got to appreciate the high standards. I wonder if babies and small animals are affected differently. Anyway, anything else? Yeah, sure. Um, McDonald's plans on eliminating self-serve uh, self drinks by 2032. They want to create a consistency for customers and workers. Analysts have pointed to changes in consumer behavior since the COVID pandemic, including more digital and online delivery. The company didn't say if other factors like finances or sanitation affected the recent decision. 
But other than that, uh, the consumer price index made its largest monthly jump of the year in August. The reason is mostly because of high gasoline prices. Inflation also hit uh, a yearly high last month because prices of other goods, uh, you know, like food and shelter, have also gone up. Real average hourly earnings declined for the month. Um, other than these two updates, Evelyn, that's all from me. Well, thank you so much, Don, host of NTD Business. Always good to hear from you. Yeah, thank you, Evelyn. Yeah, heart health is so important. Yes, and a new research shows that if children sit too much, their heart health could be at risk down the road. Well, that sounds serious, especially with cars, computers, tablets, you name it. People just sit so much nowadays. Yes, and I went to investigate this and sat down with cardiologist Dr. Nisa Goldberg, who is medical director at Atria New York City. Take a look. New research shows that when young people, those 11 to 24 years old, spend too much time sitting down, they have a higher risk of developing heart disease later in life. The increased sedentary time is correlated with the larger left ventricle of the heart, especially in girls. The study is out of the University of Eastern Finland School of Medicine, and we're going to find out more about this and ways to help the youth get up and become more active. What does this study show us about the importance of getting youth active? This research study showed us that heart size increased in young adults and teenagers from 17 to 24 years old who were sedentary. And they had an average of about 459 minutes of sedentary lifestyle. And this is a concern because we know that when a heart starts to get thickened, we see those in conditions like high blood pressure, obesity, and diabetes. And those patients who have thickened heart muscles often feel short of breath or tired and find it difficult to exercise. And Dr. Goldberg, why would it be in girls that we're seeing an enlarged left ventricle? Well, what was interesting in the study, which was 55% girls and young women, is that the wall thickness and the heart size increased in the girls and young women, but didn't increase in the boys and the young men. I think we need more studies to understand that. One question I have, are girls and young women more susceptible to sedentary lifestyle? We know this study shows us an important finding. More studies will have to be done in a large number of people to see if this pans out. Yes, and what are some ways to encourage parents to develop these healthy habits in their kids? Well, for parents, I would say show a good example because we know from other studies that children who live in homes where parents smoke and eat high-fat food and don't exercise, they adopt those behaviors. So it's important to have your kids see you exercise and encourage them to find activities they would like that are physically active. We spoke to some New Yorkers, including young adult students, to find out how they stay active. Nowadays it's very difficult, but unfortunately, unfortunately I always try to go to the gym with my friends. I have a very good community and the best way is to stay active is find a community and independently of the sports, that's just the it. What barriers do you think kids face in staying active nowadays? I would say social media, the number of computers and other stimuli which is around us. Do you think schools are doing enough to keep kids active? I think they definitely try. 
but you know you go to school and I mean even I'm in college and it's still you're sitting down two hours three hours sometimes for any student like you know you need to get up and be able to move a little more than just sitting in the same spot the whole time. A mother who has a toddler says she runs around the track with him. And I start to time him and I try to get him to go faster and faster so he can get the idea of like oh I'm racing against myself and I'm trying to better myself. The researchers involved in the study have some promising findings though. Their supplementary data shows even just easygoing exercise can reverse heart enlargement from sitting too much. That's important to know. And I think the mom really had found a fun way for his kid to, uh, for her kid to stay active. Yeah, it seems like her kid really enjoyed that. And that was Dr. Nisa Goldberg, a cardiologist and medical director at Atria in New York City. And she had some good ideas, you know, climbing trees. I know I've climbed plenty of trees as a kid. Yes, that's right. That was pre-social media times for me, though. Ah, <laughs> uh, I see. <laughs> And up next, an aerospace company CEO successfully performs a manned flight in a personal flying car. The aircraft is also capable of being piloted remotely. So stay with us for that story. Welcome back. Flying cars have long been a symbol of the future. And now they're a reality. An aerospace company successfully tested the first manned flight in the U.S. this summer. But the passenger aircraft is just the beginning. Entity's Andrew Thomas had the opportunity to speak with the CEO to learn more. One day back in 2016, Darone Mertinger found himself stuck in traffic. The Israeli Air Force veteran gazed out the window to see a kid playing with the drone. It was an aha moment. Seven years later, he finds himself in the cockpit of his company's flying car. Yeah, the reality was even better than what I imagined. What we had is we had eight fans throwing air to the ground, and I was sitting like you know you, you floating. It's it's a very it's a very interesting feeling. It's uh, it's um, the the vibration was very minimal. So is the noise. Mertinger grew up with an interest in science fiction. He knew someday flying cars would be the future of transportation. But the CEO says the company's aerial vehicle is about more than cruising from A to B and avoiding traffic. Even flying today, we're over the clouds, and this is below the clouds. You are still engaged with the surrounding like a drone. And think about it, the best videos and images today are shot by drones a couple of hundred feet. This is what you're going to experience. You're going to experience, you know, Mother Earth, right? The, the, our, it's beautiful. In July, Deroni Aerospace became the first American company to successfully perform a manned flight in a personal flying car. Merdinger says the test flight was moving, and it reaffirmed his vision. Now, sitting there, I mean, I just want to do more and more and go higher and higher and just experience. This is really uh, what I'm, I'm looking for at this point, just looking things above, just see how the three-dimensional world looks like. The Deroni Aerospace H-1 works like a drone. Rotating blades make the aircraft go up and down. The H-1 has a top speed of 140 miles per hour and a range of 60 miles. Mertinger says the design is about simplicity and safety. The whole idea of this is to reduce the points of failure as, as much as possible. Every other hinge or motor that you add or you know, any, any other part will create more problems. So you're trying to simplify it. The H-1 isn't just a passenger vehicle. The aircraft will also have military applications and can be flown remotely. Military, uh, rescue pilots that ejected over enemy territory. This is a low flyer, quiet 
I was sent exactly to the direction of the pilot. The pilot can jump in even without its landing and take control of the vehicle and, and go back. Deroni Aerospace is also working with local emergency personnel and FEMA. Coming from Israel, I can tell you it's so important to have a vehicle that can be deployed fast, uh, going into a scene of emergency like EMS, rescue people um, in situation, I don't know if it's terror attack or floods before and after a hurricane. Deroni Aerospace currently has more than 300 pre-orders for the H-1. The two-seater aircraft will start at $300,000. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. That's exciting. I mean, and it looks like they have such a great use for it. And especially in New York, you know, when there's an emergency, police cars or, you know, first responders, they definitely get stuck in traffic a lot. Oh, yeah. Well, there's so many applications to that. And I bet it has some really great views, too. Yeah. But before exactly. it can be implemented in society, they have to need some aerial roads before they can yeah. let everyone use it. So there's well, no crashes. Yeah, exactly. That's, of course, when there is more than just him in the air. Yes, right. <laughs> All right, that's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you at goodmorning at ntd.com. So shoot us an email if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.